0: I get in the moving van, I turn on the radio and uh, on comes Bob Cajun. Now I, I didn't recognize it because I had never actually heard the song when it was mixed. <laughs> I just only heard it when I recorded it like a year and a half or so ago and it's it's bouncing along. It was a very bouncy song. Yeah. Right? I thought mean, I mean, this is kind of cool and then you know get about a quarter of the way and I'm going wait a minute is this that is this that band and then you know the B section happens right in the middle of the song and that's where my steel comes in and I'm like oh my goodness that's me on this song right I I just couldn't believe it and then the song ended and the DJ said and that is the Juno award-winning single of the year Bob Cajun by the Tragically Hip." and I was like oh this is a nice welcome to the country (laughs) i think this is going to work out fine i feel like that should be a that should be a heritage moment eh? yeah i feel like that needs to be
1: recreated exactly frame by frame scene by scene that should be on the cbc somewhere that is unbelievable what that's a crazy crazy story (laughs) that's amazing
2: welcome back to our anniversary special Uh, We're really excited to be able to share with you all of the great content that we've been producing over the past year. And um, it's such a great opportunity to work in this capacity in our region. It's no secret that the region of Waterloo has a lot of fantastic, phenomenal musical uh, talent and a lot of theatre and acting and, and other types of audio production. Uh, capabilities and it's really wonderful to be able to feature some of that great work uh, here today for you and all year round on our radio station so um you're listening in the background to a familiar familiar tune and um it's one that actually now has a a great link to the region through the person of bob egan former guitarist uh for blue rodeo and and now working uh with the city, uh, helping uh, build our, our music and film and interactive media scenes. So the, the Midtown Radio link, Midtown's been a friend of Bob Egan, and Bob Egan's been a friend of Midtown Radio for quite some time. And uh, in particular, um, uh, last month, uh, the boys, uh, Mike and Angel from Devil's Cup Podcast, uh, had the opportunity to sit down with Bob uh, virtually and interview him about some of his experiences as a musician and they were pretty excited. Uh, it has to be said and so listen here there's a bit of a clip where um, they're talking to Bob talking about how great he is but here's just a, a sample of that.
1: Well hello everybody. Um, we are back on the Devil's Cup podcast. Um, today we have a very special guest. Um, let me just get a few minutes to kind of read over the, this person's few minutes, yeah. uh, <laughs> um This individual is uh, currently the, uh, the film, music, music and, and interactive media officer with the City of Water- uh, Sorry, city of Kitchener. Is that true? City of Kitchener? City of Water- okay. Um, previously he was the uh, manager of community development at the KPL. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Minnesota born, right? Uh, spent a good chunk of time in Chicago as a corporate consultant, uh, has a master's in industrial uh, organizational psychology, uh, old age of 40 joined uh, the band Wilco, which is maybe many you might've heard of, uh, spent nearly 18 years, uh, with the band Blue Rodeo, uh, very recently helped to successfully oversee, uh, recently opened, uh, I guess the Hefner digital media studio at the KPL. Um also plays a little bit of pedal steel uh, guitar uh his name is bob egan hello
0: bob welcome bob hello champs good to be here thanks for being on oh the pleasure is mine so um it
1: goes without saying i think you're easily the most famous person we've had the uh the privilege of of speaking with uh (laughs) on our podcast and uh uh, butterflies, I guess is what you call them in your stomach. I'm kind of nervous. I'm not gonna lie to you, Bobby. Yeah, this uh, is, no, you know what? This is really big. I, uh, this I is love great. The, uh, this is awesome. The email that you sent, uh, to you a couple of days ago with just some of the, uh, the people, uh, individuals in the music industry whom you've had, um, neat interactions with. And I, I was absolutely, <laughs>
2: The Devil's Kept Podcast with Mike and Angel uh, brought ours every Sunday night at 10pm and they always feature a new guest, some local individual with interesting stories to tell and interesting thoughts and... And that was just a little bit of their intro to their episode with Bob Egan that they were both nervous and excited about. And Bob, being such a great guest, we we asked him to come back and and chat with us on this uh, first anniversary special. So here's a clip of of Bob Egan uh, being interviewed by myself and David Harms, our co-founder. Um, and just discussing being a musician, being on the radio, and, and, and some of the great experiences that he's had in his uh, illustrious career. Welcome to the show, Bob. Well, thank you. It's
0: great to be where I'm at and mm-hmm. here.
2: Yeah, and speaking of here, so you, you did not grow up in Kitchener, uh, and you did not grow up in Midtown, but you live in Midtown Kitchener now, and I think... Um big music celebrity how did you end up in little old Kitchener all that long time ago
0: Well it comes down to three words location 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 Uh I had moved uh to Canada from uh a couple years down in Oxford Mississippi so from the deep south up to the frozen north and uh spent about 6 years in Toronto um course playing with uh, Blue Rodeo at the time and I was making a lot of um, records and wanted to explore my creativity to its fullest so I needed my own home studio and for that I needed a home so I started looking uh, around for a home uh, to buy and I was looking for just some old beat up old house somewhere that was cheap that I could afford and uh Never in my wildest dreams did I think I would move to Kitchener, but um, through a guy that I know, I was able to get a mortgage, which probably wouldn't happen today, but this some 15, 16 years ago, and I ended up uh, buying this house in, uh, in Midtown. Now, the, the funny thing is, is my, my friend who was able to get me the mortgage uh, uh, was a day late on making an offer on the house and the house had been up for, um, I don't know, nine months on the market. It was a, it was a crack house, a a century, hundred year old house that was at the time a crack house, beat, beat up, beat up. And, uh, and, uh, we, he missed, he missed the, um, getting this house for me by one day. And, uh, I, I was very upset about that for a few days. And then I called the, uh, I called the uh, real estate agent and said, I really want this house. What can you do? He said, well, I can't do anything. You know, this is how the law works. And so I, it was one of the few times in my life I played the blue rodeo card. Uh, I asked him if his wife was a fan of Jim Cuddy. And he said, oh, she loves Jim Cuddy. I said, well, I got a deal for you. And uh, he was able to flip the other guy off the house and get me the house. <laughs>
2: you used your celebrity you rubbed your celebrity in his face and said don't you know who i am don't you know who i'm connected with and you got the
0: The bookend to that is uh in uh los angeles in the late 90s uh was playing with wilco we just sold out a couple nights at um the troubadour the famous uh club there and uh after our show Um, which was, it was attended by, you know, all kinds of celebrities and rock stars. I was feeling on top of the world. So I went up over to uh, Johnny Depp's club, the Viper Room on Sunset Boulevard. And uh, I go to the bouncer at the door and he said, uh, $12. And I said, hey, I play in Wilco. We just sold out the Troubadour for a couple nights in a row. I thought I'd just come in and have a look around. And he looks at me and he says, $20. (laughs) (laughs) and I went inside my face was burning with shame I drank a beer in about four minutes and I walked back to the hotel with one thought in mind and that was never ever play the rock card again it doesn't work
3: but it got me the house so and so that brought you to midtown yeah. Yes, yes, the
0: bouncer the bounce at
3: the Viper Room, yes. Thank you, Johnny Depp. <laughs> Bob, I wanted to ask you, um, you had done a, a fantastic in-depth interview with uh, Mike and Angel on the Devil's Cut podcast. And you guys, uh, you talked about touring all around Canada and some of your favorite clubs and venues. And what I was thinking of when um, when listening to this is, I, if you remember the, uh, the the time we first met, we were at the Bright Up uh, Community Center, and I overheard you uh, speaking with somebody there, just in the change room, and you were you were talking about Afghanistan, and I thought this was a really unique thing, and it caught my it caught my attention because of course I had been to Afghanistan myself previously, and knowing this isn't something that you know that uh, it's not a place that a lot of people get to, and so. Um, I feel like I I kind of inserted myself into the conversation at that time and asked you about it. And then this is where, you know, coming to the realization that you were, you were, uh, you were who you were. Uh, You were Bob Egan, you were playing with Blue Rodeo, uh, touring around, and you ended up, um, I believe, going with uh, the band, maybe another band as well, uh, but over to Afghanistan to play, uh, to play one of these concerts for soldiers who were there at the time. And so, anyway, I just thought it's it's a, a unique kind of uh, touring story that not many people know about, and I just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that. Sure,
0: David. I mean, I when I'm interviewed, I'm often asked about, well, what's the top show that you've done, right? And there's there's a lot of very very memorable ones, but uh, the the trip to Afghanistan was takes the cake. Uh, um, over any other show I've ever done in my entire life. I mean, first off, we went over with, um, on the prime minister's plane, uh, with um, about a dozen musicians and our crew and uh, about a dozen former NHLers. And these were all enforcers, right? All these tough guys, Bobby Probert and people like that. And uh, we also had the Stanley Cup with us. And so uh, got to get very close to the Stanley Cup on numerous occasions. But uh, we uh, we went to a, a, a base in an unnamed country to prepare for the trip and get outfitted for the flak jackets and the helmets and all that stuff. But uh, when we got to uh, the base in Kandahar, um, our, our concert wasn't for another um, a couple nights, but they had a little reception for us that night in the, in the canteen, I guess you call it, and uh, we're hanging out with all these soldiers, and we're talking to them, and as we're talking to them, we're realizing that they are going uh, on the wire, or over the wire, is that the Mm, correct? uh, Outside the wire. Outside the wire, they were going out to uh, engage um, the enemy uh, the following morning, and we are like, well, you know, Jim and Greg were like, so you're not gonna you're gonna miss the show. And they said, "Yeah, but this is great. Just seeing you guys." So Jim, you know, pulls the crew over and says, "Go get our gear." And uh, it takes about an hour. We set up all our gear in the in the canteen there, and we played a uh, uh, hour and a half concert for I don't know maybe 50, 60 of these troops. And David, you may remember these. Uh, Nothing makes you feel like an old guy than hanging out with the troops. Like they, they were very, very young men and women and they're carrying weapons that are a third to a half the size of them, their own bodies, right? And I, I talked to a number of them, you know, uh, offering my uh, sympathy and my empathy for their mission uh, the following day. And to the person, they all said the same thing, they said, this is why we were hired this is why we were brought here and um so no we're looking forward to this we we can't wait to serve our country in this fashion and i'm getting a little teared up just telling you this because it was it just put everything else in my life and uh in this country to into perspective right that the the, uh, the bravery and the sense of service that these uh young soldiers had was was overwhelming and in created an, an indelible impression on me um so probably the greatest gig of my life
3: yeah that, that's amazing and uh i'm sure the feeling is mutual the um having been there in the in the sort of on the reverse side of those circumstances uh living in those circumstances and when somebody you know a musician from uh back home uh, so to speak uh shows up to play these small intimate concerts it's uh i'm sure it's um it's nothing any of the people there would ever forget. And that's, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's an important aspect. So anyway, thanks, uh, thanks for telling us about that and thanks for doing that. Um, is, it, yeah. is it possible to bookend that with a, a, uh, a
0: less heavier anecdote? <laughs> yeah, please. Well, this was the, uh, the Olympics that were in Canada, they were out on the West Coast. I forget what year that was, the Vancouver Olympics? Winter Olympics. And uh, we, we were scheduled to play in the Olympic Village in Whistler outside. Uh, and we went on 15 minutes after the Canadian men won the gold. And as, as my fellow or my, my friends, the Newfoundlanders would say, that place had wheels on it. <laughs> There was never a more energetic, out of their mind, over-the-top crowd, the energy coming off these people after Canada winning the Olympic gold for the men's team, and then Blue Rodeo outside for several thousand people. That was uh, That's number two in my book. Thanks for indulging me.
2: Well, and you, um, despite uh, having not grown up in Canada, you kind of have all of these moments where you are are now implicated in uh the canadian scene and so um bob cajun of course being one of these you know it's a it's part of the canadian music canon it's one of these instantly recognizable songs and your role in that song is one of the more recognizable parts of the song and i just um we you really you told such a moving story about it at the the book launch for Awesome Music Project Canada, where you tell the story of, of, of playing on that song or realizing that you were playing on that song after you crossed the border into Canada and it's on the radio. And so we just wanted to, you know, you've already told this great story um, on Midtown Radio, but we wanted to talk, see if you could talk a little bit more about the importance of radio to to music and to musicians. And, you know, you had this, this radio moment crossing into Canada, listening, turning, tuning your dial to Canadian radio. And there you were part of the Canadian national scene, (laughs) having only been in the country for seconds. So could you talk a little bit more about radio and and your experience with radio and and how important it is for musicians today?
0: Well, um, I'm going through this, uh, this discovery of radio uh, with my five-year-old son and I'm seeing how it is opening his mind and, and blowing his mind as a matter of fact um i mean the, the this started when i was probably 12 years old living in a small uh, midwestern farm town in the states in illinois and i had a large pink tube radio right next to my bed and after uh, I went to bed, of course, I would turn on the radio and watch these tubes glow in the dark. And I could, I could get an Arkansas station uh, called K-A-A-Y out of Little Rock, Arkansas. And by day, it was, uh, it was like a megawatt, like 5,000 watts or whatever, uh, very similar to uh, the, uh, the WSM, the Nashville station in Wattage. Uh, it was a gospel station. But then at 10 o'clock at night they flipped the switch and they gave it over to the hippies and so we're talking 1971 1972 i'm dating myself yes i'm officially old and uh i could get this signal loud and clear from kay in little arc uh, little rock arkansas and this the programming that came on um, was called you know, the program's called bleaker street which is, a, I guess, a famous avenue in, uh, in Manhattan. But they played, uh, they played um, traditional blues, right? They played, this is where I heard, learned about Muddy Waters and Robert Johnson, and this is they played the Grateful Dead and the early Allman Brothers, and all this psychedelic stuff and Randy Newman songwriter stuff, um, things that you would never hear anywhere else on the AM dial and that is what uh that's the reason i'm here today that the just being so turned on by this by somebody curating this wide variety of of music that i would never um otherwise have been exposed to it it informed me um it opened my mind and my mind remains open today because of that experience in the music world so i owe a very very uh large debt to, to radio
2: that's great and uh, thanks so much for for speaking with us today Bob
0: you're you're very welcome the pleasure is mine
2: you're listening to Midtown radios first anniversary special and we will be right back with more programming talking about our first year
4: Tries. Every lucky horse shoes down to rise. But where on to you? The least I can do is let you know.
2: Back to Midtown Radio's one-year anniversary special. You just heard the song Lioness by 12 Mile Island, a local band that does a lot for their community. They're often featured in the Kitchener Says Thanks series, and they've been really great at doing a lot of of in-home studio playing um, and putting it out there into the world so that people who are sitting at home who can't uh, because, you know, performance venues are closed and we don't get to go see live music. Um, they're one of these bands that have been really wonderful about staying in touch and keeping in touch with everyone. Um, coming up next, we are going to feature not the, the music from the, the region, but some of the other great audio content production that also happens in this region. Yes, we have a great music scene, but there are also all kinds of other creative, um, Works that are happening around us. And one place that has really helped support that creativity um, is the Kitchener Public Library, and in particular, their new Hefner Studios, where uh, individuals with a library card can go and for free use really professional quality recording equipment to record songs or podcasts or other types of audio content. So it's a fantastic studio. Uh, Midtown Radio had the great opportunity of of having a, a a weekly residency in in one of their studios in their broadcast booth, where we would go in Wednesday nights and 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 use their 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 equipment and and record some of our conversations, some of our community conversations that we have, and we really miss it. We think it was it's such a great space, and we do remember the last time we were there, March eleventh and and we were kind of making jokes about uh, should we all be using shared equipment right now and we weren't sure what was really happening and of course within days everything started to shut down so uh, we're really happy that we got that last opportunity to to use the space and be together and, and no one no one got sick um and you know we're looking forward to being able to go back and use those spaces because once we're through all of this all of those shared community spaces—they are really important. This just is a unique time that we're in. Um, so we're going to, in this second half of our segment, feature two of the um, two of the award-winning podcasts from the Kitchener Public Library's Dorothy Schumacher Awards. So these are this is an annual award program that um, allows. Uh, non-professional uh, content producers to submit their podcasts. It can be a range of genres. It can be fiction, non-fiction, and um, and and the the best are then featured. Not only. Uh, on the, the Kitchener Public Library website, but they're also featured on Midtown Radio as part of our partnership. So we're going to hear the uh, the first prize winner, uh, Can Rocks Learn? A f- Philosophical Investigation into the Nature of Learning. And then we're going to hear the the second prize, um, second place uh, podcast as well, which is Thanks for Coming, Todd. And this is by Alex Boudreaux, who has subsequently uh, began, uh, begun working with, uh, Midtown Radio, uh, and he does some of our, our audio production for us. So it's a great, um, opportunity, it was a great opportunity to see some of Alex's work and really, um, see what he is capable of and then be able to have, uh, have a continuing relationship where he's able to continue to do some of this creative work that he's, he's so skilled at. Uh, we also, um, in our program now have a, Um, uh, a new podcast uh, called Bond Park. And this is Fridays at 2pm. And Bond Park, uh, the podcast was a runner up in the Dorothy Schumacher uh, podcast competition. And so this is where we we found these talented individuals making this production, and we wanted to give it an audience. So we have a, a weekly podcast coming out of of this great competition from the Kitchener Public Library that you can catch here on Midtown Radio every Friday at 2 p.m. So without further ado, let's uh, get into some of these fantastic uh, podcasts that these award winning podcasts from the Kitchener Public Library's Dorothy Schumacher Award Podcast Competition.
0: To me, there is no greater pursuit than learning. Learning is climbing a mountain, and every step you take heightens your perspective of the world around you. And when you reach the peak, not only can you see how far you've journeyed, but there's a wonderful realization that yet another peak lies ahead of you, encouraging you to greater and greater heights of knowledge and clarity.
5: Wait a second, is that really what learning is supposed to feel like? Let's back up a bit here. As you begin to
2: learn, the process is actually really painful and hard and difficult. Fear and that frustration.
5: It can be draining and you have to kind of drag yourself
6: you're naturally going to bash your head against something that's really difficult.
7: Learning is that scene in the Cape Fear episode of The Simpsons where sideshow Bob emerges from under the car and keeps walking into rakes and you zoom out and you see there's just rakes and rakes around him and he keeps walking into them until it stops being funny and
5: he keeps walking into them and then starts being funny again. That to me is learning. Oh, thank goodness. I thought I was the only one. I guess I should introduce myself. My name is Mo, and this is the pilot episode of my new podcast, which will be a philosophical investigation into the nature of learning. Today, though, I want to tell you why I'm asking you to embark on this journey with me and how I came up with the concept for the show. So buckle up your brains, my friends, and prepare for my inquiry-based learning experiment that responds to the question, can rocks learn? Hello there. Punch in your PIN
1: number. You've got one new message.
2: Hey, Morgan. I'll just uh, leave that message. Um, learning from me, it feels like trying to climb up rocks. And sometimes when it's going well, I feel like a mountain goat and I'm just like leaping up there and I think, wow, I'm really good at this and this
0: is fun. And other times it's like a scree slope and slippery and kinda of get up a little bit and slide backwards and it's horribly difficult. And oh yeah, I also wanna say um it's lifelong process.
1: We've hit the end of your message.
5: That voice, and the others that you heard earlier, are the voices of some of my friends. A few weeks ago, I put out a call on my Facebook page for audio files that answered the question, In your experience, what is it like to learn? I put out this call because even though I knew I wanted to create a podcast series on learning, I thought that was too broad of a topic to create anything meaningful from. However, after listening to the recordings that I received, I think I thought, wrong. The responses had similar themes. Learning is difficult. Learning is growth. Learning is forming connections. Learning is never over. But the way those themes were articulated varied widely. And what stood out to me more than anything is that only one of these collected metaphors for the learning process mentioned formal schooling at all. Plus, that one was more critical of academia than it was praiseworthy. Huh. Perhaps the way learning has been institutionalized in North America is just one of the many metaphors for learning, and an anachronistic one at that. Probably for many of you, this is unsurprising. But I have spent the past 23 straight years of my life engaging in this model of learning. A model in which learning is divided by subject and judged by true or false questions. A model in which most learning can be forgotten after a four-month period. A model that undervalues the importance of metacognition. You know what? This might just make more sense if I give you some autobiographical information. I'll keep it brief. a student in the Ontario school system for the past 23 years and counting. I grew up in small town Ontario where from a young age my dad fostered in me a love-hate relationship with learning. For my 13th birthday for instance he bought me a bolt of fabric and a sewing pattern and told me to make my own grade 8 graduation dress. Thanks dad. After high school, I went to a four-year Bachelor of Arts Honors Program and came out with a passion for creating positive learning experiences like my professors in the theater department had given me. It wasn't that I loved teaching, per se. Rather, I loved the fulfilling, confident, bright, expansive feeling that I got when I learned something new. And I wanted to give everyone that feeling. I wanted to preach it from the rooftops. If you push past the discomfort, learning can be a profound and self-actualizing endeavor. (laughs) Unfortunately, I didn't know of any jobs or school programs with that description, so I continued on to a master's and then a PhD in theatre and performance studies. That is where I am now. And for the first time in my life, I don't have any looming deadlines, or grades to strive for, or exams to write, or anything that the traditional Ontario school system came along with for the previous 23 years of my life. And it feels pretty weird, because I was led by the Ontario government to believe that the learning process involved those things. But now, I'm only two years away from attaining the highest level of degree they have on offer, and all of a sudden, no teachers. No grades. No deadlines. So, all of a sudden, I realized I needed a new metaphor for learning. One that didn't involve those things. So that is what this podcast hunts for. A new model of learning. A model of learning that actually reflects learning itself. Take these audio clips, for example. Here's one from a financial advisor turned psychotherapist. It's like the feeling when you take in a breath and then you take in just a bit more breath and you feel your your lungs expand and your shoulders go back, that extra expansion. That's kind of what learning feels like to me. Here's one from an app developer.
0: Learning is like problem solving. You start with a problem you want to solve or an end result you would like to achieve. Then through research, practice, and repetition, you achieve your goal. In the end, all of the steps that you took will be what you've learned, so you can produce your desired result again.
5: This clip is by a grade 5 student. Sometimes, I guess, learning can be rough and you can get bored, but if you keep push through it, you can actually get stuff out of it and it'll be a lot easier. This is one sent by an archivist.
7: So for me, it's a lot like looking at an I Spy game, one of those books when you're a kid, or an optical illusion of some kind. Um, I spend a lot of time looking at an idea or an image or a concept um, and trying to see all of its aspects and component parts. Um, so really, at the end of the day, it's about, for me, Uh, uncovering things. It's about speaking with other people um, and it's about trying to see an idea differently or see the different parts in a way that I didn't before.
5: Here's one by a florist. Learning is like struggling to conform your body and mind to
0: whole new shapes and forms. Maybe it's successfully achieving it or not, but once you
4: get to a level of comfort, discovering that there are even more
0: of these shapes and forms that you can conform to or twist into, and it it doesn't stop there.
5: Or even take the clip from the top of this episode. He uses the metaphor of climbing a mountain to explain the learning process. And I mean, why not? Like, literally, what could a rock on the side of a mountain teach us that the conventional North American school system can't? Anyways, the point is, even though I've spent all my life in institutions dedicated to the pursuit of learning, I've never stopped to question learning itself. And I mean really question it. At its core, what is learning? And what environment best reflects the learning process itself? And how do I turn a concept, as vague as learning, into a coherent podcast series? To begin to answer all of these questions, I went to Finland. Well, I didn't go to Finland. I just googled the Finnish school system, because it's supposed to be one of the best in the entire world. I figure if I'm going to create a podcast series in which I learn more about learning itself, I will need some model for learning to guide that learning, if only just to kick things off. And it turns out Finland has a style of education that suits my needs perfectly. It's called Phenomenon-Based Learning, and it was implemented in the 2016-2017 school year after educational reform in Finland. Now, their curriculum mandates that phenomenon-based learning is taught alongside traditional subject-based learning every semester. This happens in multidisciplinary learning modules in which students observe a phenomenon from multiple points of view. So, instead of studying, say, everything to do with geography, students are instead learning, say, everything to do with the climate crisis, which spans the subjects of not only geography, but also biology physics, history, engineering, the arts, education, etc. In a rubric for this style of learning, Pasi Salander has identified five aspects that make it a worthwhile approach to education. Similarly, I am going to organize my podcast project around these five elements of phenomenon-based learning. The first element is holisticity. And I love this word. It means that my chosen phenomenon, learning, can be approached in an interdisciplinary manner. In each episode, I will be looking at learning from a different perspective. I might talk to educators, but also neuroscientists and artists, engineers and designers, five-year-olds and history buffs. You name it, I'm interested in how it affects our understanding of learning. The second element is authenticity. I am going to approach this topic using real-world tools and methods. I will talk to real-world people, try real things, and publish my real experiences. Third is contextuality. The phenomenon I'm looking at, learning, is going to stay pretty vague throughout so that I can push and pull it in different directions and get a 360 degree look at it. I don't want to make any assumptions about learning going in, lest they mislead me. Fourth is problem-based inquiry. My learning process will be guided by my own questions and curiosity surrounding the phenomenon. However, I will also incorporate listeners' problems and inquiries to make this a truly collaborative process. The problem I'm addressing is my perceived need for a new model of learning in the Ontario school system. But to do that, I need a solid model for learning, and to find that, I need to know what learning actually is. And some philosophers would say to know what learning is, I need to know what is, is. But don't worry, I'm not going to go that deep. I don't think. To guide the inquiry, I'm asking the question, can rocks learn? Because in my current understanding of learning, they can't. But I can't really articulate why. And when I asked around a bit, the question made people feel very strongly. Absolutely not, they said. I'm sorry, I would not listen to a podcast that claims rocks can learn. So, I wonder, why do people feel so strongly that rocks or other objects perceived as inanimate can't learn? And what space do they have in education? Is learning specifically a human endeavor? And what about teaching? Is there anyone who does accept rocks into their understanding of learning? I hope that asking these questions that might, at first glance, sound absurd will help me get a more full understanding of what it is to learn. Each episode will contribute to my answer by asking its own questions. The fifth and final dimension of a phenomenon-based learning project is the learning process itself. I think the presence of self-reflection on the learning process should be pretty clear in this project, and I intend on reflecting on my own learning throughout this series. I encourage you to do the same. So that concludes the pilot episode for my new podcast, Can Rocks Learn?, a philosophical investigation into the nature of learning a series that questions whether the education system I grew up in is actually reflective of how people learn and, if not, what the ideal environment might be. This podcast is created and hosted by me, Mo, and listened to by you, a friend I just haven't gotten to know yet. The music throughout this episode is by Kevin MacLeod, licensed under Creative Commons. The songs were Revival, Enter the Party, Doe and Marty Gots a Plan. More information can be found in the description below. I will see you next time for our second episode together, which will respond to the question, Can art teach?
6: Welcome! I see you've made the journey here. Uh, where am I?
7: The human wants to know where he is.
6: Correct, yes. He seems to inquire about his location. You're in space, Todd. Why am I here?
7: The human wants to know why he's here.
6: Well, Todd, you see. We put you humans onto Earth a few thousand years ago. We've just got to check in and see how everything's going down on Earth.
7: Todd, on a scale of 1 to 10, would you say you are happy? Maybe the human can't hear me. Todd! On a scale of 1 to 10! It's a six! Thank you, Todd.
6: Who's behind the one-way mirror? Oh, behind that?
7: That's Josh. He's just here to observe.
6: Say hi, Josh.
7: Hello, human!
6: What's with all the clocks? Do you not like the clocks? Do they remind you of home? No, they don't remind me of home. Hmm. You see? We tried to fill this room with things we thought would make you comfortable. Items that Earthlings like. When was the last time you saw Earth? I haven't seen a grandfather clock in years. Hmm. When was the last time we saw Earth?
7: It was the Florida trip. I think that was year 64857 in space time. So about 1963 in Earth years.
6: Well, anyways... Todd, we can go wherever you'd like. How about this? How's this, Todd?
7: Yes, this is a lovely place.
6: I don't think I've been to church in ages.
7: The human doesn't know where we are.
6: No, like... I know where we are, I just don't go here anymore.
7: The human knows where we are.
6: Todd, how would you rate life on Earth from 1 to 10? Like, as a whole?
7: Yes, Todd. How is life on Earth from 1 to 10?
6: Uh, 6?
7: Ah, another 6. The human likes the number 6.
6: Can I go home yet?
7: The human wants to go home.
6: Do you not like it here? I mean, no. Josh, the human doesn't like it here.
7: Sorry, human. Where would you like to go?
6: Home, please. The human wants to go home. What the hell? Is this my bedroom? You said you wanted to go home. Todd. Is this even real?
7: The human doesn't want to go home. No,
6: no, I I wanna go home. What is
7: this music, Todd?
6: Am I sleeping there? What's what's going human on?
7: Human music sounds like noise.
6: Human music does sound like noise. Concentrate, Todd. I have another question. This is crazy! How is this happening? I'm going insane. Oh, don't don't run that way. Well, look at what you've done. It's just a simulation, Todd. You can't just run off however you want.
7: The human broke the hologram.
6: The
1: human broke the hologram.
7: Yes. The noisy sound is back. Human music is odd.
6: It's experimental.
7: Experimental. But why does it sound like noise? Okay,
6: Todd. I have one more question. How would you rate this experience? How would I rate you kidnapping me from my home and shoving questions down my throat? Yes. Unpleasant.
7: Where is unpleasant on the scale?
6: Yes, Todd, we very much need a one to 10 answer. Two.
7: The human gave a two. That is not a six. Better than the last human.
6: Yes, much better. So, what happens now? Am I done here?
7: Yes, you've noticed
6: that we have no more questions. Blast pods are primed and ready. Thank you, Josh. Blast pods? What are the blast pods? At the conclusion of the interview, the subject, you, Todd, are loaded into a state-of-the-art travel pod to take you home. And, uh, how long will that take?
7: The human wants to know how long it will take. He is asking a lot of questions.
6: Approximately three space hours. How long is that on Earth? Josh, how long is a space hour on Earth?
1: I will check my sources.
5: Please continue.
6: Follow me, Todd. Thank you for your assistance.
1: Sources say one space hour is three Earth months.
6: Thank you, Josh. Wait, what? Get me out of here.
7: Goodbye, Todd. Yes,
6: goodbye, Todd.
7: Todd was a wonderful subject. I would rate that interview at an eight.
6: Yes, wonderful interview. Shall I send in the next subject? Yes. Thank you, Josh.
2: For two of the award-winning podcasts from the Kitchener Public Library's uh, 2020 Dorothy Schumacher Award uh, Podcast Award Competition, and uh, we are really happy to be able to feature that great work here on Midtown Radio. Coming up in our our last hour of our anniversary special, we are going to be featuring some conversations with a couple of uh, content producers here at Midtown Radio, Aaron Francis and Melissa Bowman. And not only do Erin and Melissa produce content for us, but they are also uh, very active, engaged community members. Uh, they've been involved in a number of really important projects with the City of Kitchener and also with other organizations who are interested in uh, ensuring that we live in an equitable livable, sustainable, um, welcoming community. And so we're going to talk a bit more about some of the work that they've done uh, over the past year in terms of both their content production for Midtown Radio and their really amazing uh, contributions to our community. So please stick around for our last hour of our one-year anniversary special.